So your first three feature films have grossed 800 million? Uh, I haven't checked. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> Why not? Is this something 10 years ago you would have ever, you, you and Lota would have ever imagined? I mean, not to sound like a jerk, <laughs> but <laughs> in a way, yes. Well, because I mean, it was only, always my dream to make movies. And it, it was always my dream to be a Hollywood director. But that was kind of like a secret because I'm, you know, I'm from Sweden and it's like the other side of the world. Like I don't have any like family members who are in showbiz or anything like that. So it's not like, like you can say to friends and family like, yeah, I'm going to be a Hollywood director because people are going to be like, yeah, sure. Like I'm going to be the king of Spain or whatever, you know. But that was always the goal. And then it's been... You know, a lot of times that goal has felt really far away and I've been very depressed and felt like, oh, this is never going to happen, of course. But that was always the goal. Like, that was what I wanted to do with my life. So in, in a way, it's been, you know, you can't say that it's been expected, but it's always been the goal. So it's always been like, yeah, that's what I really want. So, so it's more of like, you know, the, the feeling is not a surprise. Well, it, it is a feeling of surprise that, wow, it actually happened. What I want, you know, my dream actually came true, but the dream has always been there, if that makes sense. And when you were uh, in Sweden, you were um, posting uh, short films and like animated films to your YouTube channel. Yeah. And were you working another job or you were in an animation? Um, I actually haven't had a lot of jobs. I So my... I think video store was my first job, which was sort of under the table, not really official, but, but it was, <laughs> it was kind of cool. I, I loved it because yeah, I had access to movies. I could rent all these free movies and sometimes you get screeners so you could see movies before they came out on video and things like that. But I've never been much of a people person. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a, you know, you have to talk to people a lot, which is, that was the downside of it, but all the movies, that was the great part. And then I worked a little bit in like, grocery stores and things like that. And I hated that even more because that's, the, you know, the, the downsides of working in a video store, but without the movies. Um, so, and then I was unemployed for quite a while. I was really depressed. I was, you know, still living with my mom in my 20s. And uh, eventually, yeah, I started making animation because I've always wanted to make movies. I was, was making movies with friends. But then as we started getting older, you know, your friends are getting jobs and lives and suddenly it's like, ah, there's not as much time to and willingness to make little dumb shorts. Um, so that's when I started doing animation because it was something I could do all by myself. I didn't have to rely on other people's schedules or money or whatever. It was just like I've always liked drawing. So I could do that on my computer all by myself. I'll just record the voices and didn't even need an expensive camera for it. Um, and I was lucky in that this was in 2005, 2006, when YouTube was a new thing. So, you know, I signed up to that, didn't really know what it was, but it's like, okay, I can upload videos here. And I uploaded uh, a little animated short I made um, and got a really good response. Like people really seemed to like it. So I was like, well, this is great. So I made another one, one that was a little bit more ambitious than the first one. The first one was almost like a slideshow. I mean, I hesitate to call it animation because it was, it, it, it's an actual slideshow. 
Um, but then the other, second one I got more ambitious with. And I made this story that was very personal about sort of the, the, the thoughts in your head that put you down and like tell you that you're shit. And, you know, basically an angel and the devil on your shoulder. And that one really took off online, got all these views and then really went viral. But it was in Swedish, so it didn't go outside of Scandinavia, but like Norway, Denmark and people of Finland. Um, and that got me a lot of attention. I got like to go on TV and like, what's it like to have a viral hit? Um, and it also led me, led to me getting some jobs, like companies who are like, we want to make a little funny video about our product or, or whatever. And we, we loved your funny video. Can you do something for us? And I would do that. And often it's kind of funny because the, the shorts I made were very crude. Like they had a lot of bad language and like big penises and, and things like that. And of course, when companies want to do something, it's like, yeah, we want that, but not that, you know? <laughs> so you kind of have to do, yeah, something that's not as fun. But now I was actually getting some money, getting paid, which was great. And so I could move out and didn't have to live with my, my mom anymore. Um, and this uh, also led to me meeting my wife. I mean, that we actually dated when we were 11. Oh, wow. She was into acting. I was already into making movies. And then when this short went viral, she saw it. And, you know, yeah, we dated when we were 11, then had a 14-year break. And she saw this movie and was like, recognized my voice and, and contacted me to reconnect. And we did and, and got back together. And now, you know, when we now were dating, you know, she was an actress you know, I had a video camera. It's like, oh, we can make things together. And we, we tried getting m money from the Swedish Film Institute because in Sweden, you know, you apply for grants from the Film Institute for your shorts or even for your features. That's basically how all movies are made there. Um, but we didn't have any luck because they weren't as interested in sort of the genre stuff that we wanted to do. And I, I think I've always had sort of, for, always had sort of a commercial bent for movies. Like that's kind of my taste you know, American fun popcorn movies and things like that. And in Sweden, especially when you have that grant-based system and it's taxpayer money and they have to be really responsible what they do with that money, it often goes to films that are, are more sort of important and take up sort of issues with society and things like that. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's led to some great movies, but yeah, it didn't really work out for us. So we were turned down uh, and but then we felt like, well, screw it. I mean... You're an actress. I have a camera. We well, let's just do something. You know, we don't need money. We can do a little shorts ourselves. So we did a little short called Camp Closer. That was a horror short uh, about like a phone that sees the future. I put that up on my YouTube channel that now had a few thousand followers uh, from my animated work. And they were kind of surprised, a lot of the followers, because they expected sort of humorous animated things. And now suddenly it's this terrifying little horror short but people still seem to like it even though they were surprised um, and we really enjoyed doing it and then we saw this um, uh, there was an online contest by these horror collective in the UK called Bloody Cuts like make a, an under three minute horror film and you can win prizes and things so we were like well that's what we're doing now we just did Cam Closer let's do something for this and that's when we did uh, Lights Out. Again, just me and Lotta in our apartment, 
trying to like figure out, okay, what can we do that's scary? And we were like, you know, I think everyone's had that feeling of, you know, in our house, it was a coat rack that you, you walk out in the middle of the night. It's like, ooh, it looks like someone's standing there and you turn on lights. Oh, there's nothing there. And that's sort of how, it, you know, playing around with the light gave us this idea of, okay, there's, there's something that actually is there every time you turn off the lights. So we did that, uploaded it um, to the contest. And then we found out that we didn't win the contest. But then a little while later, they also had secondary prizes. So I won Best Director, which is like, oh, that's awesome. But we didn't think that anything else would happen with that. Um, we were like, oh, you know, fun. Let's make more movies. But then a few months after that, this was in uh, March 2014, uh, I saw on Reddit that someone had linked to our short. Uh, and it's like, oh, that's awesome. I showed Lotta. And then I go in to see the stats and it was like 17,000 views. And it's like, oh, that's so much. That's awesome. And then just minutes later, it was like 70,000 views. And then it was like over 140,000 views. And it just kept going and going. It's like, what's happening? But I think, I mean, it, it was just two, two and a half minutes short and there's no dialogue in it. I think that really helped it to spread. I mean, partly because you know people don't have an attention span anymore. So it's like if they see it, oh, it's only two and a half minutes. I can watch that, and because there's no dialogue, it can spread everywhere. So we really sort of lucked into something that was really universal. Um, and yeah, it was just a few days after that. I actually said to Lotta that you know I've heard of people getting representation in Hollywood from shorts like from managers and agents and things like that. And like the day after I said that, I woke up to an email from a management firm here in Hollywood. I showed Lotha, I was like, I told you, it's like, it's starting. And then it was just like, open the, the floodgates because we got emails from agents and managers and producers and studios and like sometimes actors and, and people as well, makeup artists and all these things. It's like, what is this? Um, and you know, these managers and agents that want to, uh, represent us and, you know, I had to get like an IMDb pro account just to find out who these people are. And eventually I, I you know, I picked a, a manager who could then help us navigate this whole thing with getting an agent and, and who can we trust with producers and all of that. And, um, yeah, we, this producer, Lawrence Gray seemed really good and he was really into it, you know, because a lot of them were just wanted to know who we were and what our plans were, or, you know, and, and you don't know, like they didn't ex explicitly say, we want to make this movie or we want to represent you. So, and I, I kind of need that. <laughs> I don't know if it's because I'm Swedish and kind of introverted. Like I'm not good with sort of interpreting subtle signs. Like, so, <laughs> so I went with like the producer was like, yes, I want to make this movie. We should make this movie. Boom. It's like, oh, all right, let's go. We went with, with Lawrence Gray, who, um, and you know, it was kind of a weird situation because once this happened, it was about a year before the movie happened, which is actually pretty quick, but it feels strange in that situation to sort of wait for all of these things and not knowing if it's real, if it's actually going to happen or not. Because during this year, it was, you know, signing with a management firm and an agency and all of that, and then finding a writer working with the writer to develop a script and making a deal for all of this with, you know, getting a lawyer and all of that. So 
during this year, Lotta and I, we didn't know if this was actually real or if it was all bullshit. So we were like, well, we can't stop going. So we kept making shorts, um, you know, around our house wherever we <laughs> could come up with little new ideas. We made one in the attic, one in the basement and just trying to come up with new stuff. And, um, you know, for, for each of these shorts, I would make these little behind the scenes videos. That was that turned out to be very appreciated by people who, who saw it as like other up and coming filmmakers. Um, and it was something I did just because I, I loved that's what I wanted to see. I wanted to see, you know, I've always loved seeing behind the scenes and making ofs and all these because, you know, just to learn as much as possible and see what it's like on a film set and how do you create these things and all that. Uh, so we just kept doing that. Um, and we even had this idea that we would make a feature, just her and I, if this didn't pan out. But then um, in March, something like that, of uh, 2015, they basically saw, yeah, movie is happening. We need you here like next week or, or whatever. So Lotta basically had to quit her job because she was working in a group home. You know, I was a freelance animator, so I didn't have anything steady going. So we basically, you know, locked our apartment, got on a plane, and this was you know, paid for by the studio because we were broke. Like when we first got uh, a manager, you know, they were like, hey, can you get out here? Because we want you to meet all these people and go like on this, you know, tour of Hollywood. It's like, oh, hey, this is this guy and whatever. But we didn't have any money. So it's like, yeah, we can't do that. But then they paid for us to, to fly out here. And, um, yeah, it was very strange. We 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 had to find a place to live here, and it's everything is super expensive in LA. Um, but we found on an Airbnb this half a garage in Burbank. It was sort of parted into two. So this um, mother and her daughter were our neighbors in this garage. And it was like, I mean, for us, it was like. Uh, Two and a half grand or something a month and oh, for wow. us that is insane yeah and I, I mean it was a pretty nice garage i mean it wasn't bad or anything but it was quite a shock to, to find out how expensive it was and we still didn't have any money and when we got over here yeah the studio paid for the flight over and everything and they were gonna pay for living expenses but not until the movie was greenlit and it wasn't actually greenlit until quite late so we had to i mean first of all we borrowed from everyone we knew back home in sweden and then when that money ran out it's like what do we do now so we had to borrow from the producer and the, like the manager and it was kind of dicey because it was like well if this doesn't happen we're in deep shit because we're like all borrowed out when it comes to money but then thankfully it did happen the movie um but yeah it, it was all pretty crazy because I'd never been on a movie set before. So the first time I actually stepped foot on a real movie set, it was as the director, which oh, wow. was pretty crazy. I mean, especially because, I mean, everyone there had more experience than me and every assistant, your PA and like, they've all done, worked on real movies. And I, you know, and, and part of me think, you know, I, I think they kind of thought I was more experienced than I was. And, you know, I wasn't going to correct them. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, sure. You want, want me to make your movie? I, I will. But, you know, they would ask me if, oh, do you have a DP you usually work with or an editor or a storyboard artist? And it was just, no, I've done all these things myself because I've had to, you know. Had you and Lotta previously been to Los Angeles before this? We had been to, yes. Um, it was actually the year before it went viral was the first time we were in L.A. because we... Um, 
we had, I made a little animated documentary that it got into a film festival in San Jose. And so we got a little bit of money from the Swedish Film Institute to actually go to that film festival. And then it was like, well, let's go to LA as well. And we have, we, the, the producer who we worked with to make that little uh, uh, animated uh, documentary, he was like, well, let's go pitch the studios in Hollywood. And I was like, what are you insane? Like, wh what do you mean pitch the studios in Hollywood? Like, how are we gonna get in? What are we gonna do? But he actually, he was like, no, my brother uh, actually works at Fox in Sweden. So he can probably get us into Fox in LA. I was like, okay. And he was like, all right, let's, let's pitch like a horror movie or something. So I actually wrote a little horror movie um, and which was my first like script in English and everything. Um, and we actually got to go there and, and pitch this thing. We had to sign all these disclaimers because we weren't represented or anything. And, you know, it was an interesting experience, but it was clearly just like, oh, he's a friend of him. Just, you know, just, just listen to it. You know, I mean, nothing came of it or anything, but it was still a cool experience. Like, yeah, got to walk on the Fox lot, you know, and actually sit there and, and talk movies. Um, so yeah, we, we'd been here before, but, uh, and he even got into a studio, but, <laughs> but that was it. When you said viral previously, what year are we talking about? And then what was, what was that number at that time? You know how viral has kind of changed? Like some people think a million is no longer. Yeah, uh, well, it was in 2014, March. Um, I, I mean, at the time it was like 4 million, I remember that. I mean, it landed on like 10 million or something, I think, or 11 million. Um, but I mean, then it's, it's, it's kept going because other people have uploaded it as well. And we didn't like be like, oh, they have to take that down. That's our movie or whatever. I mean, as long as they didn't change anything, it was just like, yeah, upload it. We just want people to see it, you know? So I saw an upload on Facebook. I don't trust Facebook's number though, because it was like, what was that? Like 70, 80, 90 million or something. And it was like, I don't know what Facebook does, but I, I yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of people seem to have seen it, yes. And the one, the link that was put on Reddit, was that Vimeo or YouTube? That was Vimeo actually. So it then went viral on Vimeo first, which seems, you know, kind of unique in a way, because it seems like it's mostly YouTube. But then since it was on YouTube as well, that, exploded too, but it started on, on Vimeo. You started making movies at what age? Maybe seven or eight or something like that, I think. Uh, when my dad bought a video camera. Um, yeah, immediately like started making movies with friends. Um, oftentimes, or all of the time really, they were much bigger ideas than, when, than you could do as an eight-year-old. It's like we made this like Vietnam War movie and things like that that were terrible. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, no, it was fun. And it, it was kind of a funny story because, I mean, this was in the late 80s um, and the video cameras were super expensive. So my, my stepmom at the time, you know, she didn't like me using dad's expensive camera, you know, and would always be like, oh, no, you can't do that and blah, blah, blah. And it was actually kind of funny because on the at the premiere of Shazam, you know, she was there. That was her first movie premiere and everything. And she actually said to me, like, she actually like apologized oh. for not letting me use the camera, you know, because 
it kind of worked out in the end. But you know, I, I never had a problem with it. Like I, that was very understandable. I don't know if I would, you know, <laughs> let a little kid run around with something that was, I don't know how expensive it was in the 80s. Maybe by having it being more forbidden, it was just more interesting to you, I don't know. Maybe, or I, I think it was just like, yeah, whatever. Uh, I'm not listening to you, <laughs> I have movies to make, you know. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's good, it's good pre-director pre um, training, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you believe in the law of attraction? So what is the law of attraction really? That, that, that sort of positivity and, and things like that sort of attract things or I'm not? It can be negative things as well. It's whatever you kind of like focus your mind on. Uh, I'm sure yeah. people will correct me in the comments. So it, yeah, my I understanding mean, I, is I, that. I, don't, uh, I certainly don't believe it, uh, believe it in any supernatural way, but it's, it's certainly in life. Yeah, what you set your mind to and how you treat other people and things like that certainly has an effect. And I mean, that's something I've seen in Hollywood now too, that you know, studios and producers, they want to work with people that are good people, that they get along with. Like, because you, you can only put up with so much assholery, you know, <laughs> even if it's like this really talented guy, you know, if he's a jerk, it's like, oh, it's going to be a chore to work with him. And like, it, it does really pay off to just try to be good and, and, and all these things. But also to uh, attracting what you believe that you're sort of meant to do or that you want to do. So when you were working some of these jobs, whether yeah. it was you were every time you saw a customer for the DVD rental, you were busy doing something else, turning your back, you know, but yeah. still you loved movies and you had this idea that you wanted more. It was kind of like there was no other choice, really, because, you know, I tried these normal jobs and failed. And then I was sort of unemployed for a really long time because I just I, I didn't know, know how to do anything else, really. Or, um, so I, I, I kind of needed to do something creative, whether it was drawing or, or doing music or, or something creative felt like that was the only thing I could do really. And, and, you know, I, I think, yeah, it was quite a struggle for a while there with money and things like that. I mean, especially when I was freelancing because I'm terrible with charging people money because you know, like, oh, I can't say a big number because then they'll hate me. And, you know, so it's like, yeah, I'll, I can do it for this. And then when it comes time to pay taxes, it's like, oh, I've spent all that money because I needed to live. Now I can't pay taxes and I need to find work right away or borrow money from someone if I can find it, you know. So it was, you know, it, it, it was difficult at times. And I think most people might give up but for me there was no other choice really like it this was what I had to do so it's kind of like yeah where where else are you gonna end up did you feel it was impossible to make Hollywood movies because you were in Sweden you didn't know anyone in the film industry it felt very far away it was very distant yes I mean what you started seeing I mean especially with YouTube you started seeing that there was hope. Like, um, like Fetty Alvarez, who directed uh, the Evil Dead remake and Don't Breathe, you know, he, he made a, a short film, uh, Panic Attack, that went viral. That's how he got into Hollywood. Same with uh, you know, Andy Muschietti, who made Mama. 
made the short film mama made the big film mama and now he's done it and you know all these things so you know you started seeing like oh it, it, it like it's not necessarily that distant but um you know i i mean a lot that we we had this sort of plan or or what what our thinking was that we'd make these little shorts to show the film institute that hey look we're doing some cool stuff here give us some money and if we got some money we would do longer shorts and maybe with that we could you know get some attention and maybe do like a swedish feature uh, or two and then maybe that will get some attention from hollywood some you know way down the road um weirdly enough that we got to skip all that because we, we made this short and suddenly it was straight to hollywood so we never made anything professional in sweden really and we never got to know the Swedish film community or, or, or what that's like. Were there unspoken rules that you quickly learned just from being here? Just things they don't really tell you that are just protocol? Yeah, I mean, there, there, there was a lot to learn coming here because I didn't really know how a film set works. Like I've, I'd watch a ton of like behind the scenes and listen to commentaries on Laserdisc and then DVD. Um, but yeah, there were still little things like you didn't know, like you couldn't find out from there. And one of them was like, uh, I didn't know when to say action. So when I was interviewing a first AD for, for the position of first AD, I, you know, I would ask him like, so when, when do I actually say action? Because I, I've heard like there's sound speed and all these things. And, um, and it's, yeah, it, it's sound speed and all the, and, and when, then when the, the camera operator says that he's ready, then it's, then you can say action. Um, but yeah, there was a lot to learn just how it worked on a film set, like interviewing a script supervisor, same thing there. It's like, I was basically just asking, what do you do? Like, what is a script supervisor? Um, but what I found was that, yeah, there was a lot to learn with everything around it, how things work and what's, how they're supposed to do. But the, the actual filmmaking itself feels like it never changes, whether you have no money or all the money in the world it's still the same sort of thinking of how to shoot something, how to tell a story. Um, so the rest of it is just things you have to learn to, to navigate, but the core of it feels like it's the same, which is good because it feels like, okay, that, then I know kind of what I'm doing. And sorry, you said previously that you were influenced more by American cinema than with Swedish cinema or no? Did yeah, I, I mean, growing up, it was, yeah, American movies, American TV shows, lots of like Spielberg and James Cameron and John Carpenter and Wes Craven and um, just stuff like that. Because I mean, Sweden, it's a small country and even the sort of more populist movies are kind of, you know, compared to American movies, they're, they're very small and they're not ex exciting, especially not when you're a little kid and you want like spectacle and cool stuff. And, and you know, it, it's also just a bigger pool of, of talent just because it's such a big country and a lot of people come here to, to make movies and things like that. So you can you get more interesting stuff a lot of the time. So Bergman films didn't really intrigue you? This I, I do. Uh, yes. <laughs> no, I, I, no, I do, I do <laughs> love Bergman and like Lars von Trier, uh, Gaspar Noé, I, I, I really like, which you know, they do very interesting movies. And then sometimes, especially with Gaspar Noé, like I don't think he's made something that's truly for me, but it's I'll see anything he does because I always find it interesting, you know. 
so I, I, I do like all kinds of movies. And I, I you know, I had a, a, a period of my life where I was very much into just like art house and indie and stuff like that. Then I kind of watching a lot of those movies, I kind of, because you, you, you know, when you get into that phase of your life, you're like, oh, Hollywood movies are not that great because they're so formulaic and everything. It's all the same. And then when you watch a lot of art house movies, you start realizing, well, there's kind of a formula to this too. There are, they're just sort of different tropes and different, uh, you know, languages, but it's kind of the same thing there. So then it's sort of, you return to the American movies or Hollywood movies as well. And now I kind of like everything. But yeah, what I like doing is quite commercial, I guess, at the time. But, I, you know, maybe at some point I'll do something more art house as well and see what that's like. Did you think about going to film school? I did, but only for the possibility of, of getting access to better equipment and things like that because i've always hated school i've, I've loved i always loved learning and i mean i'm old enough that you know when i was a kid we didn't have the internet so i would you know take my bike down to the library and check out books on like video production and filmmaking and stuff like that and they were very out of date it's like cameras from the 70s and things like that but i've always loved learning i just always hated the school environment you know a lot of it is because i'm usually pretty introverted or like it's like i can be kind of extroverted but then i need to recharge and like get away from everything be in my own world for that um so yeah i've, I've never liked school whenever i have gone to a new school whether we've moved or because you're now older or something every time it's been like oh this time i'm going to be like a good student i'm going to Everything's going to be great. And it is for like a couple of months. And then I just start skipping out school and my grades just go. Pfft. So, I mean, I, I barely, I mean, technically I didn't really graduate high school even, you know, like I, I, I was there the last day, but it's like, I, I had been there. I had played hooky so much that technically it wasn't a real graduation. Um, so yeah, I've, yeah, I, I did consider it just because like, well, then you'd get access to real equipment and like make something a little bit more professional but uh, no I, I never did theoretically do you think you could be making a living as a filmmaker if Hollywood didn't quote come knocking sorry for the cliche but um, like back in Sweden <laughs> uh, yeah maybe um, but I would probably have to make different kinds of movies you know that would be more <laughs> Scandinavian I guess might necessarily be a bad thing, but um, yeah. Uh, and I mean, with it, it's an interesting time we live in with YouTube and everything like that, because some people can make a living out of just doing stuff for YouTube. So I'm sure there would be a way without Hollywood, but yeah, who knows. And you said you were um, hired to do corporate videos and corporate versions of animated yeah. things. And yeah, which wasn't very fun, but it was, you know, better than normal jobs still. And I think if I if I had someone else to sort of negotiate my salary, uh, it would have been more sustainable. Um, but yeah, like I've always had that drive. So if if nothing else, yeah, I would have just kept making movies with no money 
Um, you know, Lotha and I had this idea of like for a feature film that starred just her with a little bit of me in it <laughs> that we could sort of shoot ourselves. Uh, and I think that's what we would have done. And even, even you know, when um, we were making the deal for, for Lights Out, since I was, you know, an unproven director, they were like, they wanted this little clause in there that if we can't, just can't get the movie made with you attached as the, as the director, we want to be able to, to, to make it with a different director, but then we'll make you a producer and you'll get a producer's fee. And to me, and that producer's fee was like a few hundred grand or something. So to me, that was like, well, shit. Okay, so I either get to direct a Hollywood movie or I get enough money for Lotte and me to be able to make our own movie. So it was kind of a win-win situation. Of course, I was hoping for the directing job, but it was like, either way, we're making a movie, you know? Sounds like a, a good deal. I mean, I know it wouldn't be probably ideal to be removed, no. but luckily they, they kept you. Yeah. Do you, do you think it's almost a blessing that you had jobs where you weren't suited? You know, some people are introverts and, you know, they have what, what do they call it? the Myers-Briggs personality test. And so you can know, are you a people person? Are you good? Yeah. Is it almost a blessing that you shied away from those jobs, for lack of a better word, because then it forced you to have your back? I don't know, that? because it's, it's, I've had to learn those things anyway, because being a director, you have to communicate with people. <laughs> you have to be a part of a group and because it is a, a collaborative, art form or experience or whatever you want to call it. So I've had to learn it anyway. Uh, and and it's, it's been hard because especially when you're used to, rather than having to explain what it is you have in your head, you just start making it, start shooting it. So coming here, that, that was the big adjustment of like, how do I explain this? And sometimes when you're explaining things, certain things in your head are so obvious that you don't even mention them. And then when you see the results, it's like, well, where's that thing and that thing? It's like, well, you didn't mention that. Well, it's, it's obvious, you know? <laughs> so you have to learn a lot of those things. And I, I have become more extroverted as well. Like, just because I've, I've had to, to be able to do this. It was actually kind of funny for, for Shazam, the publicity tour, we got, went to Sweden and I was on this Swedish, big Swedish morning show doing an interview and afterwards they were like oh you're so easy to interview you're so american you know like you just keep talking while you know swedish actors and directors they're just like yep that was fun <laughs> you know so i have changed a lot as a person just because i've had to but it's it's been under great circumstances because it's been making movies you know i i don't think if i'd been working in a video store still i don't know how much I would have changed <laughs> might have been even the other way that I've been become even more withdrawn. But yeah, it is something that I think you have to learn just because you have so many, I mean, being a director is, it's all about communicating. You know, when, when you start out and you're making a little no budget shorts, it's about learning cameras. It's about how to write a screenplay. It's about how to light, how to edit, how to make VFX, all these things. But once you get here to Hollywood and make a movie, all it is is telling people what you want. That's the whole job. Like you don't have to pick up a camera. You don't have to sit at the Avid. You just tell people what it is you see in your head, what it feels like, what it sounds like, what it's, how it looks. Um, so that was 
I, I, you know, that was something that I didn't quite expect, I guess, even though I, I should have, but you know, yeah, it, it's helped me as a person in, in many ways. You know, it's interesting. It always bothers me when I hear people criticize an actor or whomever, a musician, like, oh yeah, they, they went in the back and they were in the green room or they didn't want to hang out with everybody. And it's before a set or being on performance because maybe that's part of what they need to do yeah. to get ready for their part on stage or in front of the camera. Because not everybody is hardwired to be, yeah, how you doing and this and that. And then, oh, okay, you need me to do my lines? It's yeah. too exhausting. Yeah, uh, and, and I'm very much that way where I need my sort of alone time or recharging time. And sometimes it is, you know, a bit much. Like when we wrapped Shazam, you know, the line producer, you know, made this little speech in front of everyone. And then it was like, hey, David, like, do you want to do it? And I was like, no, <laughs> like, I can't. It, it was, you know, it was not the time. It was not the, the, the moment for me. So instead, I, I wrote this letter to the whole cast and crew and then sent that out and which people came up and said they very much appreciated everything i wrote and everything but but yeah it was one of those moments where like i i can't do that now i i have to do it my way you know so so it still happens or where i'm a bit introverted how do you get comfortable in telling people what to do especially if you feel like maybe they have more experience than you do can be a bit intimidating and um, there was some friction actually on the set of Lights Out where the camera department, <laughs> there were some arguments about things. I mean, especially like the first day was a bit of a setback because I, since it was my first movie, you know, it's like, oh, I better not screw this up because this is my one chance in Hollywood. I planned so much, made like little storyboards, little diagrams of like shot lists and everything. And then the first day the DP, didn't really listen to me. Um, and, you know, some people in the camera department were, were, had made like really big movies. Like they were talking about like you know, these working with Tom Cruise and all these things. And it's like, oh shit, like these are, you know, there's so much more experience than me. But so it, it, it took some friction and it it were, there was some friction. It, it took some time for me to really stand up and be like, no, this is what I want. Like we put the camera here. We're gonna put the actor here. We're gonna do this, and like it, it took me actually getting a little angry after a few days, um, but that that helped a lot because then it was more that we were on the same page. But I mean, it, it's understandable, I guess. I mean, if you've done all these big movies and then you're on this movie with this guy who's yeah, he's never even been on a film set before. Like, oh, what does he know? You know, um, and but. It, it, we had an argument about like shutter speed um, where it turned out I was actually right, <laughs> which felt really good because it's like, yeah, you've done this for a real long time, but I know a lot about cameras because I've had nothing but time on my hands and uh, Googling and experimenting and things like that. Um, and also with actors, especially like on Lights Out working with Maria Bello was kind of intimidating because like, holy shit. Uh, and even casting for that role, you know, there were a lot of women who came in that I've, you know, I've seen in all these movies and TV shows. And it's like, oh, they're like auditioning for me, which is just surreal. Um, but 
So yeah, it was, it was a bit of a challenge, I guess, up front, but it, it quickly got into a, a good thing. And because I mean, actors and everyone on the crew, they want to know what we're doing. Like they want to be know exactly what it is you want and how what the vision is and everything. So they just appreciate that. And even you know, sometimes there were moments where it's like, oh. I should do another take, but I, like, I don't really want to ask that from the actors who've done it so many times or for the crew or everything. So it's like, yeah, no, it's fine. We can move on. And then you, you're kicking yourself afterwards. But that's another thing where, that I've learned. Like I heard from crew who had worked on this other movie with this director who was just doing take after take after take. And they were working like all throughout the night, but the crew didn't hate him. Instead, it was like, yeah, like he really knows what he's after. Really, like it was almost like this respect of like, yeah, he, he has his vision. So it was like, oh, okay, they don't hate you <laughs> if, if you're a perfectionist about something or if you really want to get something right. It's more like they respect the fact that you're not going to give up until something is really good, you know, because everyone wants to work on good movies, you know, they, they want to be proud of like, yeah. Yeah, I worked on that movie, you know. No one's going to be like, yeah, that movie I worked on was shit, but we got home at 5 p.m., you know. It, it's, people want to be proud. So do you think it's um, really owning the fact that you're the director, that, that that's like the hardest part, and then once that happens, the crew then just naturally sort of I think so, yeah. That. Yeah, if, if, you know, as long as you're not an asshole about it. Sure. But, uh, yeah, no, it, it was really... That was an interesting experience as well. Maybe it's because I'm Swedish where we have this sort of mentality of like, oh, don't think you're more than anyone else. Like we're all sort of here. Um, to come here and see how directors are kind of spoiled or kind of treated. Because like we had this meeting with someone and I walk in. I was sort of first from, from our side. Uh, I walk in and meet this woman. And it's like, oh, hey, how are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And... and and she asked, like, so what do you do here? And it's like, oh, I'm the director. <laughs> and suddenly she was, like, standing up and, like, shaking my hands. Like, oh, okay. It's like, you know, real, realizing, like, oh, being a director seems like a big deal here. <laughs> you know, that, that, that was strange because I'm not used to that. And I'm still not used to that. I mean, it's, it's so surreal to see things like just the other day I was talking about signing autographs and stuff. It's like, why would anyone want my autograph? But then I was talking to my manager actually, and he was like, right away, he went to eBay to look if, if there were <laughs> my autographs there, and they were. And it's like, oh, wow, that is insane. Like, people are like selling my scribbles. It's like, it's a, it's a, yeah, I don't know if I'll ever get used to this thing of like, ooh, he's that guy. It's like, what? I'm just, I'm that YouTuber guy who made like the thing with the big dicks, you know? Yeah, it's weird. So that being said, what do you think makes a great director? Aside from there's a pecking order on set and everybody, yeah. sorry, bad pun there. or bad, bad. I think um, <laughs> communication and a, a clarity of, of vision. And at first when I came here, everyone was like, yeah, a director needs to have a vision. And I don't know if it was a language thing or, or something, but I, I had trouble like, well, what do you mean vision? What is that? <laughs> like just how it looks or, but yeah, it, it's, 
just knowing how how it looks, how it feels, you know, and a lot of time if you're pitching things, you have to have comps or like, yeah, it's, it's like this thing, but with this thing or whatever. So it, it's just having a, a clarity of what you want and, and being, being able to communicate that, sort of putting the pictures that you have in your head into someone else's head. And, and sometimes, you know, for me especially, words can't communicate properly and then you have to like, draw things or cut together things from other movies or create something just to sort of this is what I'm after you know um, but I think that's that's the most important thing and yeah well at one point didn't you for lights out you took your black magic pocket camera and you kind of did some of your own shots or did you sort of do almost like a storyboard with that. Yeah, I did all kinds of things. I mean, I even did some of the visual effects shots that wound up in the, in the film, uh, which, you know, I've, I've always had a big interest in visual effects and it was kind of cool to be able to do that on my own. Um, I, I wish I had known that I could do that when we were shooting because there was a lot of things where it's like, oh, I want to do this thing. And then I was told, well, that's a VFX shot and then that'll cost this and this and this. But then once I was in post, I found out from the editors like, oh yeah, the VFX guys, they don't have a union, so anyone can do VFX in a movie, which is, I mean, it sucks for people in the, that do VFX because they sure. really need a union. But it was cool for me. It was like, oh shit, I can do all these things myself and, and get it just the way I wanted to. Because sometimes, you know, even with the VFX winners, no, that's not quite what I want. I'll just do it myself because it's quick and easy and, and, and whatever, but yeah. I did it, yeah, did as much as I could myself, partly because I just enjoy doing it. How does that feel sitting in the editing bay, knowing that, yes, this is, quote, my movie, but in some sense, maybe you won't have the ultimate say, and before well, you did. Well, you know, I mean, that's the thing, that it is very collaborative, and I, I think it's a danger to have an ego where it's like, it has to be my thing. Because sometimes what your thing is might not be what's actually best. Uh, and the good thing about Lights Out was that when we made the short, it was only supposed to be a short. I think if it would have been much harder to make a movie where it's like, oh, this has been my baby for so long. This is my dream project. It has to be this. Because not just with sort of opinions of, of others, but things never turn out the way you want them to for so many reasons. And it, it was easy to like, if someone else had a better idea or if like the studio had a note where it was actually like, oh yeah, that's a cool, let's do that. Um, it was easier to do that when it wasn't like your precious baby. Um, and that's something I've noticed as well that, you know, reading stuff online and, and uh, you know, you might, think that studios are only out to sabotage movies. And it's like, oh, it's the, the, the filmmaker, he has this idea and then he just needs to get through this gauntlet of the studio trying to ruin it in every way. And then coming here, you realize that, oh, the studio isn't just like people in suits that are trying to ruin movies. It's, I mean, sometimes it can be that, but it's people that want to make movies and that, that some, they can have great ideas. and. The great thing about being a director is at the end of the day, you get credit for it. So if, if someone else comes with a better idea than you have, just take it, you know? Um, so that, that, that was good to know that it's like, okay, not, not 
everyone in Hollywood is just trying to ruin movies and just make money because yes, the ultimate goal is money because it's a business. But again, people want to be proud of things. Like people want to say, yeah, that movie you loved, we made that, you know, even though like a lot of times people I think would rather take that than, oh yeah, this movie made a bunch of money, but it's terrible and the laughing stock, you know. So yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, there's a lot of people who want to make good stuff. So if it had been a coming of age drama about a guy growing up in Sweden who worked at a video store yeah. and you had been wanting to make it for a decade. Then it wouldn't have been made here. <laughs> you would have been more precious about it, but because it was something that you were open, to, it wasn't like that for you. And you no, it was very out. much, I was very much accepting of like, okay, it's not quite this, it's more this, you know, it's like, that's fine. And uh, at the end of the day, you just want the movie to be the best thing it can be, which in some ways made me listen a lot to like focus groups. Because, you know, that was a fun experience as well, to have test screenings and focus groups. And the thing is, test screenings, I think, are quite valuable. Because just sitting with an audience and seeing a movie, you will see it differently than if you're seeing it on your own. Because it's kind of like seeing it with new eyes for some reason. As long as it's just someone new in the room with you, even if it's in the editing bay, you see it differently. Because it's like, now you're thinking of how they're seeing it. So I found test screenings to be valuable, but then focus groups are maybe not as valuable because that was the big thing on Lights Out. The focus group was like, well, who is Diana? What's the backstory? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh shit, they really need to know that. And again, you want to make the best movie possible. So we shot this sort of more backstory like, oh, this is who she was when she was little and everything. I don't think it turned out as good. I kind of think it, it ruined it a little bit and that's, some people criticize that as well, but yeah, focus groups are dangerous because they're sort of they're sort of asked to find problems with the movie, and then they sort of try to find something, and once they do some find that little thing, then everyone else is like, oh yeah, 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 that thing, that needs fixing, and oh yeah, maybe do this and this. But I think focus groups, or I hope that they're kind of going away a little bit because that's what I found out is that. You know, they, they fill out these, they see the movie, they fill out these forms and then they go away and sort of calculate what the score is for the movie, right? Because you want to do, you have these boxes if you think the movie's excellent, very good, good, fair or poor. And you want to have people tick those two top boxes. That's all they care about. And if they want to recommend the movie. So while they're sort of calculating the scores, that's when you have a focus group to like hear people. But nowadays, I mean, with Shazam, now they have apps. So they just give out like iPhones to the whole audience. And they fill it out and right away, you see what the score is as soon as they fill it out. So you don't really have to do focus groups these days. Um, but yeah, I, I think test screenings are, are valuable, but focus groups maybe less so. I don't even remember what the question was, but we wound up here. <laughs> Do you think your jump from DIY to Hollywood would have happened if the genre that you chose was not horror? If it had been drama? If it had been something that was more yeah, uh, family I, drama? I think like with drama, you probably have even less money <laughs> and might have to do more yourself. Uh, and certainly, I mean, you can't really go straight into like, yeah, superhero movies or things like that. But yeah, horror has always been, yeah, kind of scrappy and like, 
yeah, we're going to do it all together and, and, and fix it. So, I, yeah, I think so. But in terms of the reception to here in, in the in the states, um, just horror seems to be like communicate. I mean, you know, most people are scared by the same things, yeah. and so. Whereas dramas, they play out differently. There's going to be a language barrier. Um, and, and some people don't want to see dramas. They don't want to see indie film. It's too depressing. True. And uh, yeah, which is kind of sad that at the moment it's mostly just horror movies and big spectacle action superhero movies that sort of play in theaters. And everything else is going to like streaming right now, which is kind of sad. Um, yeah. Yeah, I miss those. I miss the '90s, like independent films. Yeah, they were a great storyline. Yeah. yeah, and in, in the ending wasn't always clear, but sometimes that was the magic of it because then you were thinking about it. Well, what if this happened? And yeah, what makes a great horror movie? Kind of depends on what kind of horror movie. Because the, the horror movies I've made have kind of been popcorn horror, where it's kind of a ride, you know, uh, which is very satisfying to see with an audience because they're sort of you get that like cheering when the right person dies or when they get away or like laughing and people like jumping and then laugh about jumping. Um, so in, in those uh, in movies like that, it's, it's very much about sort of the ride, the scares. And uh, I think in general, just for, for horror movies, sound is super important and timing. Uh, because a lot of people don't, or some, some horror directors, they don't take their time with sort of the creepiness and the scares. Because you can make anyone jump, like if you just have a loud, sudden noise. But it's that, that Hitchcock thing with the, the bomb underneath the table. Like, yeah, if it suddenly explodes, people are going to go, oh, shit. But if they know that it's something that's going to happen, but they don't know when, and like that's when you're sitting there at the edge of your seat. And I think that's one thing that worked really well with Lights Out, just the short, was that we start right off with a big scare. Um, you know, the, the thing just comes closer. And then we've, we've scared people, now they know what to expect that, okay, anything can just jump at us at any moment. And then that makes, you know, just her hiding under the bed and hearing little things, that makes that much more effective because then you've set the precedent. Um, but then there's horror movies that, uh, again, that are more sort of art house, like Hereditary or The Witch or things like that, where it's, you know, less about scares and a ride and it's more about being unsettling and really like staying with you. And, and then that's, you know, other means of, of achieving that. But I still think, again, sound is super important. And I think that's why, like, I mean, David Lynch has made some of the He's not a horror director, but he still made some of the scariest stuff out there. And he's someone that makes his his own sound like he's very much into that. Um, yeah, I think sound and, and timing and, and things like that are important. And, and what I try to do is always just make it as bad for the characters as possible. That, that continuous sort of escalation of just getting worse and worse and worse. Like in, in Annabelle Creation, you know, there's that girl who she runs into a barn and then she gets trapped in there. It's like, oh shit. And then there's a scarecrow in there that starts to come alive. It's like, oh shit, this is even worse. Like, how could it get even worse? Well, now the lights are starting to go out. Now I'm going to be here in the dark with the thing. So it's just like that continuous escalation of to just make it worse and worse for, for your characters. 
But you used to use a lot of your own sort of DIY things or whatever you had handy when you were making films, short films back in Sweden. What were some of those things you would use for sound effects that were just like these inexpensive? Uh, well, in our apartment, we were blessed with very creaky floors, which was great. I have a whole library just recorded of me sort of creaking around on, on those floors. Um, and then, uh, yeah, just trying to find good sounds and, and like recording just the, the air, uh, the ventilation system, like slowing that down. And you have this sort of dark drone that you can keep in the background of horror things. That's, that's really effective. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, for do DIY things, we did little lights ourselves. So like I did this uh, bucket light from an Ikea trash can and whatever we, we could do. I mean, a lot of it would be based on things that I would see in behind the scenes of, of, of proper movies. Like, oh, how can I make it like a low budget version of that? Um, which still sort of stays in my head because I remember on, on Annabelle Creation, they had these uh, quasar lights, which are basically like um, light tubes or whatever that, that are kind of expensive or, or whatever. But just watching that, I was like, oh, I could have used that. Like I could have used just regular light tubes, but put them in the same way and done that in a short film. You know? What's the most stressful part of making Hollywood movies? The first sort of stressful part is just the time of it that I, I, I realized coming here because you know when you're making your own stuff you can take all the time you need and like you can continue another day and whatever so coming here was the first time I was working on, under a real schedule and you know the first AD would put up all these things like this okay here's the schedule for this is this enough and I was like I have no idea I've never made a movie like if I was making a no budget short that's plenty but yeah then you, you realize how long things take with just lighting and everything and um, it was very stressful just because I didn't know right away that like if we don't get this today, then this scene is out of the movie. So I would rush and like, right, we made it right under the, uh, under the wire. Um, but then I, I, I found out that, you know, if you don't get it that day, you can shuffle some things around and get it another day. Or you, what we did on Lights Out even was we asked the studio for another two days or something, another day. And they were like, sure. And we could get it. So it's not like... I realized that it's more flexible than I thought it was. I thought it was very rigid. Like, if you don't get this, then it's gone. So it's, it's the stressful things have been time and also sometimes, you know, if you show up on set and you don't really know what you're doing, like if you haven't had time to think about a scene or something beforehand and you show up on set, it's like, oh, shit, like everyone is... They want to know what, what we're doing and like you don't even know so you have to like fake it <laughs> or like try to come up with stuff on the spot which i actually kind of like doing like on on lights out i was since it was my first movie i was super prepared and did all these storyboards and then animatics and everything i could just to prepare and then you it never turns out that way anyway because oh the location doesn't actually allow that or, or we're out of time for this. We have to come up with something on the spot. So, you know, on Annabelle Creation, my second movie, I was like, I'm not going to plan all that stuff. Let's just show up on the day and figure it out in the moment with like the DP and the actors. It's like, OK, let's see how it feels when you go over there. And OK, then we can put the camera here. And that was a much more pleasant experience. Um, 
to just having fun and figuring out on the day. But I, I don't think that's for everyone because, <laughs> yeah, sometimes it can be a little scary when it's like you show up and you don't really know what you're doing beforehand. But I, I like that. And then, you know, on Shazam, which has a lot of visual effects and big action sequences, we had to do previous, uh, you know, these when animatics and things, um, which, you know, on a movie like that, you have to do that. But again, it gets kind of boring because once it comes time to shoot it, you've already been watching the sequence for months before in, in, in previous forms. So you're already kind of tired of it. And when you're shooting, it's just like picking off the pieces. It's like you have this board set up with, okay, we're doing these frames today. Uh, and oftentimes they're very out of order, which is not fun for the actors either because they are not really sure where they are in the process. And you're just doing these little pieces of, yeah, you do this and then we cut, you know. Um, so for me, I, yeah, I've really leaned into and really like coming up with stuff on the day. But it, it's, it's, it's weird. It's kind of a, you kind of need a combination of two. You have to plan things out, but then come up with things on the spot. It's sort of a, in some ways you have to do both in movies. And how was it for you to almost stop yourself or, or maybe you didn't have to, but when something needed to be moved or changed, you were maybe used to doing that yourself? Yeah. And then, oh, wait a minute, there are people to do that. I can't, I'm not allowed to touch that. Or, yeah, or I mean, that, yeah, coming here, just camera stuff was like, instead of me explaining, why don't you just give me the camera and I'll do it. Or editing as well. It's like, that was kind of weird because I'm so used to editing myself. And now it's like, ooh, I, can I just grab the mouse? <laughs> and, you, and you can, you know, if you want to, but you have to get comfortable with just explaining what it is you want. And sometimes, you know, you just explain the feel you want rather than, yeah, cut on that frame and then this frame. And then the, the editor can, you know, sometimes surprise you with like, oh, that was actually cooler than I thought. But yeah, you really got that feeling that I was after. Um, and that same thing with cinematography and acting and everything. Like it's, it's, it's fun when you're like, sometimes you're not too specific and then you get surprised of like, oh, that, that was even better. Like, that's great. So have you had to learn the art of delegating? Was that hard for you? Um, yeah, a little bit, uh, just because you like to have control over everything. And I mean, on Shazam especially, um, that was the first time working with a second unit. Because on a movie like that, you have so much action and stuff that you know, it takes has so much setup. You know, like we had this big Ferris wheel that fell down. Like that took a whole day to set up. So if main unit does that, that's all they're doing that day. So you have to have a second unit to shoot all these action-y bits. And to me, that was like, well, I want to shoot that fun stuff, you know? And then it was... And then whenever someone else is sort of directing as well, it doesn't turn out quite the way you had in mind. Um, so on, it was not very healthy, but on Shazam, I had it scheduled so that we'd shoot main unit during the day for a while. And then second unit would shoot during the night. So I could go to that too and sort of hang around there and make sure it turned out the way I wanted. Cause um, yeah, which is not very healthy. You need to sort of give up some control, I guess. But, it, but it's hard because especially when it's fun, like action stuff, it's like, well, no, I, I want to shoot that. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I mean, I hear some directors 
like Christopher Nolan, like, yeah, he doesn't have a second unit. He, he'll, he wants to shoot everything, and he's Christopher Nolan, so he can do that. Um, but, but yeah, I'm still working on it. If we were going to do a mini making of doc from lights out, the short, all until now, what kind of emotional highs and lows would you put in that documentary? Um, well, I mean, sort of the lows would be, you know, during uh, Lights Out, I, I got pretty depressed there for a while when it's like, it's just that shock of, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be, or, or like, I didn't think it was going to turn out this way when you see something. Um, but I, I think, I mean, on everything I've done, halfway through, I get really depressed. Uh, that's true for the shorts even. Like every short lot that I've made, halfway through, I, I want to quit. Because I'm like, this is shit, this is garbage, I don't want to do it. Um, and the, she convinces me to actually go through with it, and then you're very happy about it later on. And that, that's sort of the um, thing that's happened on every movie. Like halfway through, you're like, oh, this is, this is bad. This is not what I wanted. And, um, but you, you have to go through with it. And then even on Lights Out, the producer told me that you know, when you see your first cut, you're going to be, you know, not very happy. <laughs> or like the, the first sort of assembly of it. Because he was saying that, you know, when Ben Affleck saw the first cut of Argo, he was like, my career's over. And then he like won an Oscar and everything. And that's, even though I was told that, first time I saw the cut, first cut of Lights Out, it was like, well, this is shit. I've ruined, I fucked this up, you know. Uh, maybe they can cut a cool trailer of it, but the movie is terrible. But then you just keep working out, you cut out all those little things that bother you and you get the music in there and the, the, the DI and everything. And then at the end, it's like, it's actually pretty cool. So, but, but on Lights Out, for the post-production there, I was quite depressed and really thought it was bad until we had a test screening. And I could hear the audience and feel that energy. I was like, okay and then that's when it started like okay maybe this is pretty good and that that happens on every movie um and also after every movie wraps i also get depressed but now after three movies i, I know myself very well so i sort of get through it better like when shazam was winding down i was talking to lotta about how yeah i'm gonna get depressed afterwards and it's gonna be pretty hard but i know it's coming and sure enough it does and then since you've been through it so many times, you're able to write it out better because like it's temporary, even though when you're depressed, it never feels temporary because depression sort of, yeah, it tells you that everything will be shit and it tells you everything has been shit. Even the good things are, are bad, you know. Um, so, yeah, every every, every I, I think that every movie is a roller coaster with, with highs and lows throughout. But I think just in comparing the movies, I think Annabelle Creation has been the most pleasant one because it, you know, after Lights Out, it felt like, okay, I know how movies are made here. I know the whole process now, how it works. There's nothing sort of unexpected. And Annabelle Creation was just like, it was just a bigger budget, sort of the same thing. Where it's like, okay, we have more resources. We have more days. We can build uh, uh, sets in a studio. And it's like, that, that was the best experience so far, even though you still have that depression and everything. And then Shazam, that was such a step up with like a hundred million dollar whatever budget. Um, 
so it was kind of back to lights out almost with, with all these new things like visual effects and stunts and second unit and all these things I haven't done before. Um, so it was kind of, it, it was difficult at times. And again, I get depressed and then I have to get through it and everything. But you know, if I make another hundred million dollar movie, maybe it'll be like with Annabelle creation where it's like, okay, now I know how this process works and I know, what to look out for and, and, and all these things, but um, yeah. That's Do you think, sort of, uh, yeah. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. Do you think that that's something that creators should be aware of, that no matter how proud they feel of something they've made, whether it's a tiny indie film or a studio film, yeah. that they will get depressed because so much time and energy has gone into it and oh, it's Oh, every all time. Over? I mean, that's happened to my brother as well who makes video games. Like he spent seven years making a video game and then it's done. I mean, it's that thing of, I don't know if it's, if we think that more is gonna change, like you, you work hard for like two years, like on Shazam or whatever, or, or a movie and like, you come out of it and like, you almost think like the world is gonna be different now, or you're gonna be different. And then it's sort of like, oh, it's back to the same kind of. And it, it's sort of a break in routine, especially when you have, like on a movie like this, you have a routine, you have a purpose, you know what you're doing. And like every day you come in, you see the same people, you know, you eat lunch together and you talk and you get to know each other. And then one day it's over. And it's like, it's kind of like getting fired or almost someone dying or something. It's just like, oh, we're sort of back to this. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> things or you don't change as much as you expect almost because you're building to this big thing and then comes out and even if, yeah, it makes money and it's, it's great and people love it, but it's still that feeling of like, all right, well, what now? Or like you're kind of back to square one in, in some ways, which is, um, which is weird, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a part of life, I guess. I guess you just have to, get to know yourself better and sort of like yourself even more because even though you do this big thing, you're still the same person. And if you're not comfortable with who you are, you know, no big movie or big project is going to really going to change that. That's just sort of things around it. Or you could just start a new project. That's yeah. <laughs> just go yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, right now it's like, Oh, I have to get started on something new and, um, yeah.